Blog Talk Radio. Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome to Pure Hope with your host, Reverend Janice Hope Gorman. Hope is the name the angels gave Reverend Gorman. Help open planetary eyes. And that's what we hope to do on Pure Hope. Thank you for joining us. Welcome, everyone. Some people come into our lives and leave footprints on our hearts. And we are never, ever the same. Some people come into our lives and quickly go for a while and embrace our silent dreams. They help us become aware of the delicate winds of change. And we discover within every human spirit that there are wings yearning to fly. Our topic tonight is on the end of life and death doulas. I think you'll find this an amazing program. One of the questions most people ask of me about this topic, and when I was telling people that we were having this topic, is what is a death doula? And I'm just going to give a brief brief explanation because we have our expert on the air coming to us. A death doula is someone who undergoes special training to assist the dying and their family members. The actual word, which I've come to understand a little bit, doula, comes from the Greek word, which means women who serve. And yet, a death doula can be any gender, and a death doula can be incredibly diverse. We are incredibly lucky tonight to have on our Pure Hope show an expert and teacher and trainer on becoming a death doula. His name is Stephen Garrett, Garrett, and... Uh, from Just Alive Consulting, Inc. This is a bit about the founder. When you first meet Stephen, you know that you are meeting a man who walks the walk of commitment to life. Stephen has the qualities of a compassionate leader, integral energy. He has much strength, leadership qualities, kindness and knowledge. Stephen's passion for life and death is obvious in his writing, his speaking, and his teaching. His care for each and every person that crosses his path is also supported by over two decades, two decades of first-hand experience in the field of social work, adult education, coaching, facilitating, and mentoring. So I could go on and on about Mr. Stephen, but I will not. Just let us go straight to that source. Please help me all welcome Stephen Garrett to our program tonight. Hi, Stephen. How are you? I'm awesome, thank you. Hope I'm so glad to be with you, and uh, it was fun chatting with you just before the show. Yeah. And, uh, I hope I hope your listeners get uh, lots from our conversation tonight. And am I pronouncing your last name correct? I always want to make sure. Stephen Garrett. Is that right? That is it. Good. Okay. Well, Stephen said that he is calling from sunny Vancouver, Canada where he lives, and um, so it's so wonderful to be able to talk to people internationally that phone with us and be with us. So thank you, thank you, thank you for being on the air with us. Oh, what I would la- my pleasure. So let's get going. So 
when we talk about this topic a bit, what has led you to this path of death and dying topic? What personally has led you to this topic? Well, I hope that's a that's a very good question, and uh, it harkens back to uh, my late sister Jody, um, who passed away May the fifth, nineteen eighty-eight, very unexpectedly, and it was just like bang, she was dead and gone from the planet, and never to be hugged or kissed by me again, sort of thing. So that sudden unexpected death really woke me up and uh, kind of gave me a good shake. Uh, at the time, I was a stockbroker; I was involved in making lots of money, and um, her death actually uh, uh, encouraged me to let all of that go, become a social worker, and get involved in the field of uh, helping people through the difficult time of dying, death, and grief and loss. Wow. Wow. That's what I like about, um, it might sound funny, that's what I like about death in many ways, because for me, when I'm with the dying or I've had an experience within my personal family of somebody dying, is that it woke me up to the next level of consciousness or the next level of compassion or the next level of caring. And um, that's what it's, it's interesting. Me. Yeah, it's interesting, Hope. You know, in, in our culture, we've painted death to be this kind of grim, skeleton, black-hooded, knife-carrying sort of villain. And uh, my personal experience with death, whether it be my sister or my dad or my brother or friends or, or people that I work with, is that death isn't necessarily that. It could be something like an inspirational teacher. Hmm. So my own personal experiences have opened my eyes to the fact that, gee, maybe we've made a little mistake with you know, dressing death up as this bad guy. Maybe death isn't such a bad guy after all. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, talk to our audience a little bit about death doula. I know I just spoke a little bit about a definition, and all I did was kind of look that up. What is your definition about death doulas and why we need this at this time on the planet? Well, your your definition was was darn accurate. and uh, Good. Primarily a, a death doula or a death coach or an end-of-life guide or a soul midwife. There's a lot of names for that particular function. But a death doula is a, is a well-trained, compassionate individual who's learned the ins and outs of the dying process, the event of death, and the grief process that follows, and is trained to support the one dying and those that, that are supporting the one dying through their processes in a personal way and also in the way of the family needs. Um, Oftentimes, a death doula is um, kind of a go-to person because sometimes families have a challenging time saying what they need to say. And uh, oftentimes, the death doula is that kind of listening post where the survivors of the death or the one dying can speak frankly and honestly about what they're going through. Um, so death doulas do that kind of work. They, they work in the emotional realm. They work in the realm of the mind. They work with the body. And they also are deeply spiritual in their practice. And uh, by working with the body, what I mean is they'll teach the one dying and the ones witnessing the death what the physical body is going through, what to expect and what to look for, so that the death process is no longer uh, jarring or shocking um, and that it's understood and uh, uh, kind of acknowledged that way. Hmm. Hmm. 
So where do they do they hire death doulas in in hospitals at all right now? Do you believe or? No, I haven't seen much evidence of that. It it uh, mm-hmm. it's growing organically and on a kind of a community level, uh, where you know a family would uh, call in a death doula for support because they don't know their way. They haven't got a roadmap of what dying looks like, what the event of death could look like, and what the grief map looks like. So they call in some some support, which is a, a very wise choice, by the way. And the, the death doula leads them through the pre-grief process, the dying process, and normalizes and educates the family, the one dying and the survivors, about what death is all about. Um, when a family has a great experience with a, a death doula, um, they become a pretty great salesperson or advocate for the whole movement of uh, death doulas or death midwives. Mm. And so do you think it's different than hospice care when people come to the hospital and they're dying of cancer, um, things like that? We have a process here in the States, and I'm only aware here in Mankato in this area that we have a hospice program. Do you think that they're different than um, the program yep. of death doula? Yep. I, um, you know, I've been a hospice volunteer myself. And hospice provide great service. They provide uh, well-trained volunteers who can receive the communications, emotional, and, and the thoughts from the family or from the loved one. But they're more of a um, space-holding, uh, and I'll use the word passive presence. Uh, and I don't mean anything derogatory by passive, but they tend to respond to the requests of the family as opposed to leading. A death doula is a bit more assertive or a bit more of a coach or a bit more of a guide and takes a more active role in the process of dying for the family, uh, whether that be with the one dying actually or with the family who's witnessing it. So the death doula is more um, participating as opposed to holding space, if that's, uh, if that's clear. Yeah, it's very clear. I'm glad I asked that question because as I was kind of pondering, that's what I thought, like what what is the difference and is there a difference? But even having a hospice in my home watching my mother as she was passing, I would agree that it's much more of a, pat, like you said, with no, it is a passive energy versus getting the lead and taking the lead um, in that process. And yeah. so that's kind of like what the birth doula is that she is taking the lead and helping the mother give birth. So that's what a death doula does as well then her his clients then is that correct absolutely you know a Mm. well-trained deaf midwife or a well-trained deaf doula will look at the entire family and the entire process of dying death and um, end of life needs for example they take a look at is there a representation agreement in the family Uh, in other words who speaks for the loved one should they lose the capacity to speak for themselves Mm. and do they want to have some medical treatment and avoid others? What are their medical needs and not needs? And has the family spoken about what the death event could look like and how they'd like to have it set up? Uh, and finally, what's the celebration of life once your loved one has passed? So it's a bit more all-encompassing as opposed to hospice. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I see that now. I see that. Well, it's, I also... Uh, go ahead. 
I was going to say, Hope, it's, it's, a, it's a pretty complex thing that we've created around death now with a lot of paperwork, a lot of medical legalities, a lot of financial legalities. Uh, and the roadmap's not very clear anymore. We've professionalized and corporatized dying and death, and um, our families are just out of practice with it. So a death doula is like a, a, a practice coach and uh, takes good care of the family needs in that regard. Hmm. Hmm. I wonder, I'm just wondering, like in villages and places in Africa and in the middle of New Zealand, and do you think that in some of those tribes that are unculturized, that they have perhaps death doulas in their villages and their, that do that particular thing for their, I don't know if you even know uh, that answer. Absolutely. I've traveled uh, a fair bit of the world. I've been in Africa, I've been in Egypt, I've been in Kenya and Peru and Mexico and all over the place. And and what I noticed in the cultures, especially in the rural settings of those cultures, uh, there is an individual or individuals who are, in quotation marks, a death shaman or mm-hmm. a death wisdom carrier or the elder of the community that's um, the death expert. Uh, though they may not have the legal needs and the financial needs, they still have uh, grieving needs and spiritual needs. And that elder uh, oftentimes sits with the family and helps the family process the dying and the death and then works with the entire community that holds the family in their hearts so the entire community can process the, the dying and the death. Uh, mm. So, yeah, the answer to your question is, you know, years ago, and even in our culture, Hope, 150 years ago, uh, we didn't have funeral directors. We didn't have all the stuff we've got now. We did have community members who would voluntarily offer their time to help families with the dying and the death and the disposition of their loved ones. It's hmm. hmm. interesting. Yeah. Well, on your web well, on your website, I noticed that you published three books. I loved all of their names. I know that I perhaps only said to you I loved the book called Men Read This, but I really liked all of the names of your books. So the, your first book, if I'm correct, was Men Read This. Your correct. second book was Monks Without a Church, and your newest book called When Death Speaks. Do you want to just tell us a little bit about those books that you have published and written and authored? Sure. Uh, Memory, this was my, my first book, as you mentioned, and uh, I wrote it. Uh, it's actually the full title is Memory, This, A Practical Guide for a Spiritual Guy. Mm. Um, sometimes in New Age spirituality, it gets a little... Um, I'll use the phrase airy fairy for most regular guys. So I just dumbed it down and uh, created a book that men could read that was all about how to live a practical spiritual life. And uh, so that was the the nature of that book. And uh, guys seem to like it and uh, women seem to like it because they got a bit of a glimpse into the um, um, guy's brain, if you will. Hmm. Um, my my second book was uh, entitled Monks Without a Church, uh, Life Beyond Religion. Uh, it's not a knock at all on religion. It's asking the question, what's beyond um, faith or what's beyond uh, more narrow religions? And uh, I wrote that book as a result of 
uh, my travels of the world, my own spiritual awakening, and my own understanding of what, in quotation marks, uh, God is. So that book was written just to help people understand that um, uh, there is something way bigger than uh, human existence. Um, some call it God, some call it the Creator, some call it the Divine, some call it love, some call it the One, but there is something out there um, that's way bigger than us. And so that was the nature of that book. And uh, laterally, When Death Speaks, uh, Listen, Learn, and Love was all about rebranding death uh, from the Grim Reaper to an inspirational teacher and to bring death back to life where it rightfully, rightfully belongs and where those of us who survive the death can be um, inspired to live even more full lives because of the death we've just witnessed. Hmm. Hmm. I had to chuckle a little bit when you said airy fairy because that's exactly what my husband says about <laughs> about yeah. metaphysical. Uh, he calls it hoodoo voodoo sometimes, and he says it's so airy fairy. And um, so, and we have a men's group here, so I thought, oh, that would be a good book for a men's group here. Med read this. So, um, so I thank you for that. I'll make sure to send a copy of it down to you. Yeah, I would love that. I would love that. So what do you think happens to us, Stephen, when we do our transition or death? Um, what what do you think happens to us when we die? Well, that's a that's a darn good question. And, and I like the fact that you say, what do you think? Because I don't know for sure. Uh, I have my assumptions and my thoughts. Uh, having been uh, a spiritual seeker for the last 30 years, and also having been a cremationist for a couple of those years, uh, something strikes me at and around the time of death, which is we're kind of a human being plus something. And as death gets nearer, that plus something, whatever you want to call it, that energy or that essence begins to leave the body. The moment the individual dies, the body becomes a body which is primarily uh, a skeleton, uh, some meat, and some fluids. And the plus something isn't there any longer. It's somewhere other than in that particular body. When I was working as a cremationist for a funeral home here in Vancouver, uh, and I witnessed probably 1,500 deaths, every family every family and every individual who looked the body of their loved one said some version of this. That's not really grandpa. Or that's not really mom. That's not really Bob. That's just their body. So there's this palpable sense that whoever was living in the body is no longer there. Now, where we go, I mean, <laughs> I have lots of thoughts and and you know I, I believe that we return to some type of home some type of energetic space that is like this collective of individuals um, and that's about as far as I can get with it I, mm -hmm. I couldn't tell you where it is in the universe I couldn't tell you how many folks are there I couldn't begin to say how we get there or how we get out of there but there's mm -hmm. a there there that isn't here. Yes. Yeah. 
That's a great way of putting it. That's a great way of putting it. It's so interesting because just two weeks ago, I was with one of my clients, friends, mentors who did her transition. And as soon as she hopped and puffed her beautiful spirit out of her body, that's exactly what I said to her daughters who were around her as well. And and I said, you know, Anita's not home. She's not here. Um, she's just not here. Yep. So every time you just see that the body is a beautiful body, but it's a container for this essence of who and what we all are. That's right. Yeah, yeah. Well, I know that you have a diploma in meditation, and there, um, so I always ask, and I know that I'm putting people always on the spot when I ask that, is that a long time ago when I was studying Buddhism, uh, I think the Buddhist teacher or scripture in that um, that Buddha taught was talking about that if you die every day just a little bit to something, by the time you are in your transition, you will be able to let go much more easily if indeed you practice every day dying a little bit to something. And I know in my personal journey, I'm always saying goodbye to something within me, trying to let go and surrender and being birthed. So do you have a meditation or something that you can bring the listeners into to experience that a little bit or something you'd like to say about that? Yeah, I've got I've got a couple of things to say about that. Um, most of my personal practices are really simple um, and not overly time-consuming. So my daily practice is every night before I go to sleep, um, I kind of kill the day or I end it or I complete it or I give thanks for it. In other words, I bring this day to a full and complete closure with love and gratitude. And sometimes it's as simple as saying, thanks for an awesome day, on to the next. But I acknowledge that this day uh, is coming to an end. In the morning when I arise and I go for my shower, I've chosen to uh, keep my head bald, so I shave my head every day. And in the morning, my wake-up practice as I shave my head is to say fresh and new, fresh and new, fresh and new. So Mm -hmm. I'm welcoming a fresh new day. So my days of 24 hours are bounded by an opening welcoming practice to the fresh and new and a closing gratitude practice to that which was. Um, And that works for me. It's real Mm -hmm. simple. And uh, it does give a nice container to each day and helps me live this day without too much of my history being drug into it and kind of messing it up a little bit. Love it. Yep. The other thing that I do, especially when when death is near and I'm working with a family or working with my brother, is I try and help the family or the one dying put their attention on that plus something that's living in the body. So it's kind of like a conscious attempt to notice the essence of the loved one or the essence of self that's in the body that won't be there when the body dies. And in a way, that's helping people make that link from 
human beings with a spirit to noticing the spirit and staying in touch with it. Um, and that link sometimes is very helpful when it comes to death. Uh, for example, with my brother Peter, who has been struggling with cancer for six years, the last three months, every day, I noticed his essence each day and mm-hmm. said goodbye to a bit of his body or a bit of his personality, or a bit of his history or a bit of my memories of him each day. So I did my best to stay in touch with his essence while letting go of his capacity to walk or letting go of some of his weight that he was losing or letting go of the color of his skin as it grayed, I let go a little bit every day of Peter while holding on to his spirit or his essence. Hmm. Hmm. That's a beautiful way of doing it. I, I, I don't know if I've thought of it that way, but but that would be a way to slowly say goodbye to the physical piece and and just, like you said, just entering into the essence of that person more and more. Yes. So, yep, that's very helpful. I know that one of my teachers, once again, uh, again, I tend to, I'm not a Buddhist, I'm, I'm an interfaith minister, but I've studied a lot of Buddhism, and one of time my teacher plunked me underneath a tree and he had said to me that I needed to surrender to all things that will perish. You know, everything is impermanent except the spirit that is within us. And so he taught me just a bit of a mantra and it's very short because I agree with you. I think sometimes meditation or it can be too long, you know, long and people don't do that then. But the words that he taught me as we watched the leaves fall from the trees is this. As the tree grows and the leaves grow on the trees and the leaves fall from those trees and surrender unto Mother Earth, so must I surrender unto me. And that mantra, yeah, that mantra stuck with me. And... uh, Ever since then, when I also am in the presence of someone transitioning, I put my hand kind of on their heart. Yep. And I say, surrender to that essence. Just surrender to the essence of the truth. And even for me, if I'm watching someone, I watch them surrender like a leaf on a tree and surrender yep. unto Mother Earth and to surrender to the to what is happening, the transition that is happening. So... That is beautiful. It is indeed. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about the training that you do for others, about the art of helping people die. And I think, um, once again, on your website, you call it the End of Life Guide. Um, What are those programs? You have three of them, I see. Yeah, and it's it's one, basically it's one big program with, you know, three different sections to it. But primarily... Uh, with my students and my learners, um, I focus on initially their own death in their own body in this very life and help them notice their impermanence and help them uh, kind of settle into the fact that one day they're going to be dead. Um, And I help them do that by researching with them losses of life and death in their life that they've already experienced. What I've noticed, and I noticed it myself first, was if I'm not at rest 
with my own mortality, and I'm not, in quotation marks, death clear, when I step into a room where death is going on, my body, my mind, and my emotions will be triggered by what I see in front of me because I'm not at rest yet with the fact that I, too, am going to die. So that's the first bit of the training. It's very personal. It's very subjective. It's it's kind of raw and real. But if you want to work with those people uh, in the realm of death and dying, you got to be death clear first. Hmm. And then, you know, so we get that piece of work done. Uh, and then we take a look at different cultures around the world and notice different personalities of how death is handled. So we can explore death on a bit of a broader brush so we've done the individual brush then we do the broad strokes and take a look at death out in the world and then finally we wrap it up with some work around communication skills uh, empathy skills active listening skills Uh, we do some work around getting your own end of life paperwork in order which means your representation agreement your advanced care directives your will and your celebration of life so we actually walk our students through their very own process so that they are now an expert in how to do it. And because they've done it and they've walked through death and dying and they've walked through their own preparation, they now have um, authority, for lack of a better word, or integrity or authenticity when it comes to suggesting those sorts of practices for the people they'll be working with. Mm-hmm. So. Mm-hmm. And it's it's very self-paced, Hope. It, it, um, I've broken it down into 13 modules. Some folks get through it in six months. Some folks takes a year and a half or two. It depends on where their own barriers and blocks are around dying, death, and grief and loss. So, mm. um, And it's, it's, you know, people have said to me, uh, whew, this is very real and very raw, and it's really inspiring me to live a fuller life. So... It's a good program, and uh, it's it's kind of that way. And is it through the Internet? Is it through something that you mail to them or when you go around the world and speak? I mean, do you teach it also to groups? How how do you teach it to your students? Um, it depends on their choice. There are three different programs. One is primarily uh, just the content. Here are the 13 modules you get them done, you send me back the uh, responses to the questions and the instructions, and we do it by email. Uh, I also do it uh, along with a monthly Skype or in-person meeting, so you get a bit more direct contact. And the larger program is where we get together weekly, and we go through the work on a weekly basis, and we're much more uh, active in it and that's usually with folks who are in the hospice business who, or who are really yearning deeply to be a, a death doula or a death midwife uh, or an end-of-life guide. Uh, I also do travel around um, North America and teach weekend workshops that give people uh, the highlights and the important aspects of end-of-life preparation. So there's lots of ways to do it. Okay, so you're invited to go places and talk about death doulas like we've invited you on the Hope Interfaith Center's program, Pure Hope Show, huh? Yep, absolutely. Okay. And uh, I'm happy to go wherever the calling takes me, okay. whether that be Singapore or L.A. or London, Ontario, or 
Prince Rupert, B.C. I'm just very happy to go and teach. Now, didn't you just come home from someplace out of the United States? Yeah, I was over in Singapore doing a, a two-and-a-half-day weekend training, and uh, it was very well-received over there. Um, it was odd because Chinese culture, death is very, very, very taboo over there, even more so than here in North America. But we made some progress, and people were helped, and they learned some some new tricks and some new uh, beliefs. Hmm. So who um, are the people that seem to be interested in becoming death doulas? Do they have certain characteristics? Do you feel like it's an inner calling somehow? That's another great question, Hope. It, it, it seems to me primarily it's women. Uh, out of the folks I've worked with, I'm guessing all but, I'd say 90% are female, about 10% male. Uh, and of those women that come to me, and the men as well, it's it's not kind of like a career choice, or oh, I think I'll be a death doula. It's more like this heart calling or this heart yearning or this heart ache to support people uh, in this particularly important and intimate piece of life. So it's more a calling, Hope. I think you're right about that. Okay. Hmm. Um, so why do you think or even I'll use the word no, that death and dying are so fearful for so many people. Um, like you said, it's a bit like taboo, and if you think it's really taboo here, it's really taboo in, in Asia and different parts of the world. Why why do you think there is such a fear around death and dying? Well, I, I looked into that because I, I, I had the same question. Like I noticed my community here in Vancouver, I noticed, wow, people sure fight death at all costs. Wow, people sure don't want to talk about it. Wow, people are sure in denial. I wonder why that is. So I did some research and I went back in history, not very far, about 150 years, and I noticed a couple of things uh, that have had an impact uh, on our approach to death. One of them is that um, 150 years ago, about uh, 91% of us used to live rurally or on the farm. Uh, now about 11% of us do. In farm life, and I was raised on a, a farm in the summers, uh, death is very common. Uh, we slaughter the animals, we see them birth, we plant seeds, we harvest them. It's just a matter of fact in life, and it's not made a big deal of, though death is treated with respect, and the life of the animal or the loved one or the vegetables or the plants are treated with uh, respect and lots of gratitude. So that's part of it. We've moved away from um, the natural flow and the natural cycles of life because now most of us live in the urban centers where uh, concrete and clay are much more predominant than uh, the life of a, a seed or the life of a pig or the life of a cow. So that's part of it. Secondarily, I noticed that over the same time frame, we used to live in multi-generational homes because it was the only way. We needed lots of kids and lots of hands on the farm. So most of us lived with parents and with grandparents. So we witnessed uh, the aging process. We witnessed the uh, dying process. It was more in our face, and we were more used to it or more practiced with aging and dying and death. 
Now only 12% of us live multi-generationally, whereas before uh, 87% of us used to 150 years ago. So those two facts that I've noticed are fundamentally important in how come we lost our practice or our skill or our wisdom around dying, death, and grief and loss. So we just had a practice to sum up in a nutshell. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, that makes sense to me. Of uh, You know, we put our old people in nursing homes and we kind of hide them away from society and and uh children don't get to see like you said the natural death process and and the aging process and of course being a woman we are inundated with trying to keep young you know oh, God. Yeah. and you know to put botox here and lift this and lift that so somehow <laughs> you know the aging process seems to be denial a big denial and um and not a beautiful process, not a beautiful process. So, yeah. Um, and that, that your observation, Hope, around the anti-aging process, for me, is a reflection of our cultural fear of death. If we fear aging and we find aging repulsive, that's the stepping path along which we walk to get to death. So if we're afraid of death, let's get let's get that aging path out of there too. Let's just have everybody look like they're 16. Yeah. And, uh, that way we won't have to face it. Yeah. Yeah, I know um I also took people to Peru um a year ago and one of the things that we took pictures of and we love seeing them and reflective as women is that we took pictures of women with the with these beautiful signs of their wisdom in their face. Oh, yeah. And and I didn't see them as wrinkles. I saw them as beautiful signs of wisdom. Yep. And I just wanted to hang around them. And then I thought it was so interesting because the same women, including me, I mean, I'm going to put myself in there too, is that then I come home and make sure that I put all this stuff on my face so I don't show my <laughs> oh, show my wrinkles. And yet it's, it's when you go to these other cultures... Exactly. They they, so they, yeah. they they actually honor the aging process, yeah. and they actually honor their elders, yeah. and uh, their elders are revered. And uh, you know, I, I have often thought that if we were to change our relationship with death, uh, we would also change our relationship with seniors' homes, and maybe have the common sense to call them what they are, which is a wisdom library. Wow! Wow! title that's a great and that's a great truth wow totally so are you afraid of death at all you know to be honest with you i'm not afraid of death um my deep spiritual beliefs um i know that there's something i'm going to i don't know how i'm going to get there or where it is but i know there's some place i will end up residing in my my little niggling fear is not so much about death the event, but it's how I die. I'd prefer not to go in agony. I'd prefer not to go in pain. I'd prefer not to be run down by a car. I'd prefer to die in my sleep. So if I do have a worry or a niggle, it's around how I'm going to die, not the fact that I'm going to be dead one day. And who is the first person you lost in your life? In your personal Grandpa life? Joe. Grandpa my Joe. My grandfather, Grandpa Joe. Yep. Mm-hmm. I was nine at the time, and uh, 
his death profoundly affected me because the adults around me refused to answer any of my simple young boy questions. And it actually set me up to be afraid of death as opposed to understand it. Mm. So I, I would think that that was probably a, you know, a bit of a nudge back in the nine-year-old body of mine that hmm, maybe when I get older I can help people understand this because I don't like the answers I'm not getting. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it, was, it was interesting when I was looking at my grandpa Joe. He's lying in a box of wood. Uh, and this is looking at it from a nine-year-old boy's perspective. He's got a suit on with a tie. His hands are crossed his chest, and he's got makeup on. (laughs) And his skin is cold. (laughs) So I said to somebody, how come Grandpa Joe's got makeup on his face? And I was shushed. And I asked somebody else, how how come Grandpa Joe's in a box? Where is he going? Shush. You know, because back in those days, death was taboo and children were to be seen and not heard. So my request, could I just hop up and give him one last goodbye kiss, was met with horror, and I was asked to leave the funeral home. Wow. So all that people had to say to me as a little boy was, well, Grandpa Joe has a suit on because it's our sign of respecting the life he lived. He's got some makeup on his face because the embalmers want him to look a bit more alive than he currently looks. And he's in a box. It's actually called a casket, honey. And we're going to take Grandpa to a cemetery and we're going to bury him and say goodbye to him so he can rest in peace. I would have gone, hmm. that's cool. I got mm-hmm. it. Thanks. But um, they didn't do that with me. So that first death I experienced was traumatic, but it likely led me to uh, the role I'm currently playing in in my community, which is to coach people through death and answer those questions. And uh, I'm actually drawn to younger kids who are struggling with what's going on in the funeral homes because they have questions that sometimes adults don't want to answer. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I was going to ask, does a death doula, when they're certified, when they're ready to go out to work with people, do they go to the funeral and ask? answer questions like that or give aid or help to the family at the time? They sure or perhaps, can. Okay. Yep, they sure can. It's, it's really what happens is it's kind of like a co-creation. If the death doula is doing their job well, they'll um, ask open questions and questions that can uh, guide the family to making decisions about how would they like to die, where would they like to die, how would they like the celebration of life to be. And if the family wants the death doula there or the end-of-life guide there or the death midwife, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Do you know the, um, I don't know quite what to call him, I sometimes call him a guru, Ram Das at all? The Yeah, yeah. He used I, know, to say, I know him a little bit. Yeah, he used to say he would keep a dead rose on his altar. I mean, yeah. I don't know a lot about Ram Dass, but I, the one thing that I remembered about Ram Dass is that he would keep a dead rose on his altar to remind him daily of our um, impermanence and that everything is impermanent. Yeah. And it always struck me as as powerful, powerful when I heard that. It's a great idea. And, and Ram Dass has written a good book, by the way, called Still Here, uh, which he wrote after he had his stroke. 
and uh, he's doing some work in Hawaii right now around conscious dying uh, or dying into love, as he called it. So he's uh, he's out there doing his thing still. Oh, a bit of work around death and dying. So, mm-hmm. yeah, because I knew he had a yep. stroke and um, had to say goodbye to some of his abilities and and. Um, the other thing is that this weekend my husband was gone, so as a bit of a movie buff, I watched the movie here in the States called Still Alice. And it is a movie about a woman who, is, um, at the age of 50, she had early onset Alzheimer's. And she had her PhD, and she just admired her own mind and her ability to speak, and she was linguistics. Uh, teacher and a teacher at a college, and so they, this movie slowly gave us um, an idea of this woman almost every day dying to one of her abilities. It was, yep. and all I kept on saying is, "Oh my God! Oh my God! Oh my gosh!" That was quite yep. a movie. Have you heard of that yeah, movie a, at all? Or? I have. It's a great show, and uh, it's very helpful and instructive. So if your listeners want to watch something that's uh, that's that way, boy, watch that show. It's it's wonderful. Yeah, yeah. I just thought it was um, breathtaking, and I wish I could tell our audience <laughs> the end of it, but if they want to listen to it, I don't want to ruin it. But that, <laughs> the very end really talked about and showed me what the truth is about life, what the truth is about life. And and um, so I would tell that to our listeners, if they want to watch a show that's really breathtaking, still Alice would be great for them. It's awesome. Yes, yes. So if our listeners would like to get a hold of you after listening to this program, where could they get a hold of you, Stephen? They can get me uh, at either of my two websites. One of them is uh, www.embraceyourdeath.com. And the second one is www.endoflifeguidetraining.com. Okay, that's good. So what would be your last words to say on this topic to our listeners to leave them with tonight? Oh, man, what an open-ended question that is. Yes, it is, it is. You know, I, I think I think what I would leave them with is um, birth and life and death are a coin. Birth begins it, so it's the head or the tail. The rim of the coin is life, and death is the end of it. So by pushing death away and denying it, we're actually pushing away life. So my parting words would be, let's find a way to embrace our death, because it is very inspiring for us to live a much more full and passionate and authentic life. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I believe that to be as well, because that's one of the things is, even when I watched um, Still Alice, my husband came home from his motorcycle trip, and I just looked at him and just said, you know, I just want to squeeze the life out of every moment of every day. And that's what I've learned about death and dying as well. I just want to live, 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 live. Death teaches me to live. Um, Absolutely. So, 
Well, I do want to thank you for being on our program tonight, and I love this interesting topic that we have had tonight on death and dying and at the end of life. And um, I appreciate you who are calling in. And, and and really what I do also want to say is that I am, I always say, a humble and a bit of an energetic teacher, as many of my listeners know, many of my clients know. And the biggest thing that I can feel about you, Stephen, is the compassionate heart frequency that you give out. Oh, thank and you. Just with your words, um, even as we talked a bit before we went on the air. And I and I do want to give you my condolences of your um brother who just passed. Did you say just a couple of days ago or Yep, about uh, six days ago. Six days ago. Yeah. So I would like to give you my condolences um for that and Yet my sincere congratulations on the efforts that you are bringing death as a topic out to people and it not being a taboo anymore to begin to talk about. So I bless you on your journey, and I bless you for the things that you're doing, and I bless you for um, uh, traveling around the world and bringing this out to people. So I I thank you. Well, thank you so much, Hope, and uh, my wish is that uh, at least one person got one thing that they can apply to their own lives. It'll help them a little bit with uh, dealing with the dying death and grief and loss pieces that we have to work on. I'm sure it did. Now, what I always tell our listeners, if you have found a gem in this program or you have listened uh, and you want to take a better look into um, becoming a death doula, please call Stephen. Uh, check again with his email again, or I'm sorry, his website. Do you want to just repeat that once again, Stephen? I sure will. Uh, you can track me down at www.embraceyourdeath.com. The second one is www.endoflifeguidetraining.com. You'll find all my contact information there. Okay. Well, thank you so much. Thank you so much. And may you have a wonderful beginning of fall as we enter into fall. So, thank I'm you, going Hope. To, thank you. Thank you. I would like to end this program. Um, I, most of you, again, know me, and I have been with friends as they passed on and did their tradition of just leaving their beautiful body in grace and ease. And one of them that I have recently been with was Anita Markham. And so I'm going to just end with a bit of a poem called When I Die. When I die, if you need to weep, cry for your brother or your sister walking the street beside you. And when you need me, put your arms around anyone and give them what you need to give me. I want to leave you something, something better than words or sounds. Look for me in the people I've known or loved. And if you cannot give me away, at least let me live in your eyes and not your mind. You can love me most by letting hands touch hands, by letting bodies touch bodies, 
and by letting go of children that need to be free. Love doesn't die. People do. So when all that is left of me is love, please, just give me away. Love. And so, as always, my friends, that's what I believe is the answer to this life and the meaning to this life is love. And when I do a program, and I don't, I think we did one other program on end of life and um, death. And so it gives me an opportunity to tell all of you to go home and hug those of whom you love, kiss those of whom you love, respect those of whom you love. Again, just as Stephen and I talked about that death teaches us many things. It's our not our enemy, but our friend, and it can teach us how to love more deeply. So I thank you, everyone, for joining me. I appreciate you. Once again, I ask you to pass this on to others and let us raise the consciousness of the world. Please join me next month in November when we will be having Echo Bodine. She is from Minneapolis, Minnesota. I have known Echo for a long time. I don't know her personally, but I know of her work. She is an internationally known teacher. She is what many people call a ghostbuster as well as an author and has much information. She, I would consider, is one of the grandmothers who brought forth information um, to be authentically who you are. So please join me next month as well. Until we meet again, I bid you farewell and namaste, namaste, namaste. So thanks again, Stephen. I appreciate you. You're most welcome, and I deeply appreciate you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you for tuning in to Pure Hope by Reverend Janice Hope Gorman. And until next time, remember that true greatness consists in being great in the little things. Be kind. Be gentle. Be loving. Be true.